Welcome, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Good to see you. Welcome to Parkview. I want to welcome our friends here watching online. I also want to welcome our friends at Homer Glen. Hi, how are you? They say that there are, uh, they say that there are two things you can't talk about in public, uh, religion and politics. The fact that you're already in a church Let's just go ahead and get the other one out of the way, shall we? Uh, We're in the middle of this series called My Friend Has a Question, and tonight our question is, how would Jesus vote? And I do want to try and keep this simple because there's a lot loaded into this. Um, A couple weeks ago, we filmed a joke, and this will be helpful for us. We filmed a joke, and filming that joke required me to dress like this. Um, Yes. I got a lot of comments about that. Hey, you look good in a collar. What's going on? Has there been a conversion? What are you doing? Uh, so it, it was a lot. Go back two weeks if you want to see the joke. It was a lot of fun. But one of the things we kept joking about as we were shooting this was, wouldn't it be funny for me to like go and pick up my wife and go out somewhere like in public and then just lay a big kiss right on her, you know? And the only reason that's funny, and those of you it's not funny, we can explain it later, but uh, the only reason that's funny is because the expectations that go with wearing that collar, there are just some things people don't expect you necessarily to do. It's like seeing a nun on roller skates. You just don't expect to see some of those things happen. And, and so the reason why is because you, that's what you represent. So walking around in that collar, I represented something. And so for those of us who follow Jesus, we represent something as well. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 3. He says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So as we walk, as we live, everything we do, we do it representing somebody. If we claim to be followers of Jesus, we, everything we do represents him. Everything we do, we do in the name of the Lord Jesus. So when we drive, we drive in the name of the Lord Jesus. Or we should. Some of us, that'd be super helpful if we did. If we, uh, if we engage in discussion on social media, we do that in the name of the Lord Jesus. If we, I don't know, brush our teeth, you brush your teeth. I don't even know what that looked like. You brush your teeth in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever we do, we represent him. It's our platform. It's what we bring and show to the world as this is what Jesus looks like. We are ambassadors. We represent him. So when we get into this question, how would Jesus vote, that's not really even the question. Because I, I did some online discussion about that, and most people said, well, I don't think he would. Well, okay, then that's a very short sermon. The reality is it's not about how would Jesus vote. It's how do we vote in the name of the Lord Jesus? How do we walk into that booth representing Jesus, and everything we do in word or deed, we do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let me clear the air because this is a complicated topic. Here are some things that are not going to happen. Number one, I am not going to tell you who to vote for. I'm not going to do that. Number two, I'm not even going to tell you that you should vote. That's a matter of conscience. You need to decide that on your own. So I'm not going to lean on that either. The third thing is this. There is no such thing as a Christian political party. There's, if someone tells you that to be a Christian you have to vote one way or the other, It's just not true. And the reason why is because you can find stuff in the Bible to justify whichever position you want to take. For example, Jesus walked around healing everybody. That's called free health care. So maybe he's over here. But he also went around converting tax collectors to try and relieve the overtaxing of the world. He was against big government, so maybe, maybe he's over here, and maybe he is progressive. You can find justification for any of that stuff, but what you cannot ignore is that anything Jesus did, he was hyper-focused on people. The positions were not the most important thing. The people were. 
And as a matter of fact, the word politics comes from a word that means of and for the citizens. Politics is about people. And so when we vote in the name of the Lord Jesus, we, we get our focus re, refocused. We get it put back in the place where it's actually supposed to be. Now, the reality for me is this year is different. This election cycle for me is different than any other year because I don't think this election is about politics. I don't think it's about policies. I don't think it's about bills. I don't think it's about foreign policy. I don't think it's about any of that stuff. This year's election is about, it's all about the FUD, really, truthfully. Not that FUD. This FUD. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Most of what is driving us in this election is not what position people are taking. It's about what we're afraid of. It's about what we're uncertain about. It's about what we doubt in the world in which we live. And the reason I know that is because I watch political campaign commercials. None of those commercials are about policies. They're not really about bills. They're not really about positions because the people making those commercials are the same folks that sell us jeans and cars and phones. And they know the best way to get you to do something is to convince you that you're going to miss out on something if you don't. You'd better vote for this guy because goodness knows what might happen, especially if she wins or he wins. Or they say, these are your fears. These are your uncertainties. These are your doubts. And this guy... Or this lady, she will solve all your FUD for you. It's savvy marketing. And as of April 15th, 2015, 96% of all political ads were built on fear, uncertainty, and doubt. That's a whole lot of FUD. So if you and I are going to vote in the name of the Lord Jesus, we are going to have to figure out what to do with our fear, our uncertainty, and our doubt. I want to lead you into a story in the Gospels, the story of Jesus. It's in Matthew chapter 22, if you have a Bible or if you brought your phone app, whatever you want to do. Matthew chapter 22, we're going to start around verse 15. It's a very important story because three of the four recorded stories of Jesus' life actually tell this story. And in this story, two groups of people come to Jesus and their intent is to trap him. And the best way, if you want to trap somebody, if you want to get them tripping over their words, ask them a political question. More specifically, ask them a question about taxes. That'll really get them going. And, if, and it's because when we ask a political question, it's so hard to give the right answer. If you don't believe me, well, then listen to a word from Kid President. You know what will do me some good? Checking the old Kid President mailbag. Anytime I have a birthday, I can count you to brighten it up. This one's from Chris. He says, Star Wars or Star Trek, Mr. Kid President? Which is better? But if I say Star Wars, which I love, it'll make all the Star Trek people mad. But if I say Star Trek, it'll make all the Star Wars people mad. Can't win. I got it. Star Jones. The lady who used to be on The View. She's awesome. Next question. Julie asks, do you like pie? Do you have a favorite kind of pie? I don't know, the voices. Pie. I don't like pie. I love pie. Ugh, I can't let her. Mind that I like pie that much, I'd be weird. Well, Julie, pie is pretty good. I like pie, but I also like cake. In fact, I like all kinds of desserts. Next question. You met really amazing people. Who else would you like to meet? Oh, no, I won't hurt anybody's feelings. The real answer is, of course, Channing Tatum. You know, come on. Because then I can call him Charming Tater. That's just a better name for him. Charming Tater. Come on, man, just say what you mean. 
Oh, that question's easy. I'm gonna meet you, Christine. You. It is so hard to answer a political question without offending some. Don't offend those Star Wars people. They're vicious. Here's what happens with Jesus. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Let me describe these two groups to you, Pharisees and Herodians. The Pharisees are the very traditional kind of guys. They believe deeply in laws and morals, and they hate big government. And so they would be considered kind of the right side of the political spectrum today. The Herodians were guys who had bought into the Roman Empire. They loved it. They loved the big empire. And as a matter of fact, most of them got kickbacks from taxes. So the more taxes, the better. So they might be more on the left side of our spectrum. And they both come together to trap Jesus. Now, if you don't believe Jesus can do miracles, he just brought liberals and conservatives together to work on something with each other. That's a miracle in most, of, most people's books. So they say to him, teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Parents all know what this is. This is flattery. They're buttering you up. Jesus is being buttered up for this next question. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? When they ask if it's right, what they mean is, is it okay for followers of God to pay this tax? And the reason they're asking that is for a very specific reason. The imperial tax was paid with one single coin called a denarius. A denarius. The denarius was worth one day's wages for your average typical worker. And most Jewish people considered it unclean because the tax was unfair. Not only that, but because on the coin there was an inscription. and It was written in Latin, these words, divus et pontifex maximus. If, you're, if your Latin is rusty, that means God and high priest. Caesar apparently thought a whole lot of himself. So much so that he called himself God and the high priest. And he, and he was serious about this. If you didn't pay the tax, you could be executed. And as a matter of fact, a whole group of people some years before this story decided to do it, and he crucified them side by side all the way down the road leading into Rome. You've got a guy who's power hungry. You've got a guy who's mad, and he's demanding allegiance. And these guys come to Jesus, and they say, what do you think we should do here? This is a FUD-heavy question for most people. Not to mention, there is also a group that's behind the scenes in the story that nobody can see and nobody talks about. Jesus had all these followers that went around with him everywhere he went all day long. How do you do that if you have a job? Well, the reality is most of them were jobless. Most of them were very, very poor. And they got work each day to survive each day. So this tax was literally starving them. So when Jesus enters into this question, when he enters into the situation, there is absolutely no way he can answer it correctly. If he says, don't pay the tax, the Herodians turn him into the government and he gets crucified a little bit early. If he says, yes, pay the tax, then these poor people who have loved him all this time and the Pharisees who are accusing him all go, you're just like them. You're selling out to the government. You don't care about the poor. You don't care about any of this. There's no way Jesus can answer this question right. Unless, listen to what he does. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. He asked them, Show me that coin. Because this is not what you're really talking about. So they hand him a coin, and this is what he's asked them. He says, Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. 
Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Notice he didn't say don't pay the tax. He didn't say do pay the tax. He said, I want to get to the question behind what you're actually asking me. You guys are playing the FUD card here for a reason. You have come together to try and use this power, this emperor, to trip me up so that you could get me out of the way because Jesus was troubling their system. Jesus was challenging their power. Jesus was forcing them to re-examine, can we actually stay in power if this Jesus guy keeps talking to the poor, keeps doing amazing things? Somebody needs to take care of him. And you know who'd be really good at that? The emperor who thinks he's God. Remember, remember the coin. On the denarius, Caesar's saying, I'm God here. You want me to take care of your problems for you? Your fears? Your uncertainties? Your doubts? I'd be happy to do that. And so they're trying to trap Jesus so that he might be overthrown. And so this question kind of pops up. Jesus says, look, if it's Caesar's, it's Caesar's. If it's God's, it's God's. But I have a better question for you, Pharisees, Herodians. Who do you really trust is going to take care of your fears, uncertainties, and doubts? And the question then comes to us, too, in this political season. Who do we really believe is God enough to take care of our fears, our uncertainties, and our doubts? Part of voting in the name of the Lord Jesus is getting down to where we can answer that question well. Because you see, Jesus didn't come to take a side. Andy Stanley says, Jesus didn't come to take sides, he came to take over. He didn't come to push us into one political position or another. He came to say, God is the only one who's worthy of your adoration and your praise and the attention and the energy you give to this kind of thing. Because the reality is, in this moment, in this season, you and I are in this together. Regardless of party, regardless of opinion, regardless of perspective, you and I are in this together. And Jesus has drawn us together and said, who do you really think is going to take care of your fear, your uncertainty, and your doubt? Who's going to take care of your FUD for you? And so as we start to talk about what it means to vote in the name of the Lord Jesus, I think we need to honor some questions. We need to ask ourselves, what is it that's driving the, the person I, my support for this one candidate? Who is it driving the decision I'm making to vote for someone or not vote for someone? Who's driving the decision for me to share these certain links on social media that blast this other candidate or this other party? What's driving that? What's behind all of that? And I think what we'll find is most of the time it's fear, uncertainty, and doubt. But I think there are two specific questions that could really help us today. And, and I want to start with the first one. The first one is, am I voting out of fear or out of faith? Am I voting out of FUD or out of faith? And I get it. If you were around here at Christmas, we preached a series called Fear Not. And so if you weren't here at Christmas, I would, I would really recommend you go back and listen to that. Because there's a lot of stuff to be afraid of. We are more fearful as a culture now than we have been at any other time in history since 9-11. Because there's economic things. There's ISIS there's a refugee crisis going on throughout the world. There are moral crises, political crises, crises of character. There's all kinds of stuff that threaten the world in which we live. And I get it. I get being afraid. But I also know because of the story of Jesus, we don't have to be afraid. He says, listen, don't be anxious. Don't worry about things. But seek first, seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added to you. Everything that you need, everything that you're afraid you're not going to have, everything you fear is going to fall apart about the world you live in, if you seek God first, these things will fall into place. 
Now listen, I'm not saying you shouldn't invest yourself in politics. I'm not saying you shouldn't research the issues. I'm not saying you shouldn't look into what other people believe. I'm just saying that at the end of the day, there's only one person who can handle our fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And the reality is we don't have to vote from that place of fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Because the reality is, unless the candidate we vote for is God himself, none of them are going to take care of it completely. Isn't it amazing? Every four years we elect somebody, and then about two and a half years in, we're like, he didn't do anything we elected him to do. Odd, isn't it? It always happens. Why does it always happen? Maybe, maybe that's because they can't. Maybe that's because they, that's not their purpose. We're blessed to have a political system that keeps our world in order, but we can't lean on it to solve all of our problems. There's only one person who can step in and relieve our fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And so when we go to the polls, when we vote in the name of the Lord Jesus, we do that from a place of faith, knowing whoever wins will be okay. And the other thing is, it's impossible for us to live in a place of fear and uncertainty and doubt. We make bad decisions. We can't listen. We hurry when we are fearful. I don't know about you, I've never made a good decision while I'm in a hurry. You know, you're, you're getting out of the car, you're late for work, you get about a dozen things to carry, and you think, yeah, I can make it, I can carry all this stuff, and then you drop all of it. Like, it's just not a good decision. We don't make our best decisions when we are fearful. So if we walk into that booth and we vote out of fear, how, what are the possibilities that we're actually going to make a good choice? That we're actually going to be able to see clearly enough to make the kind of choice we need to make. We need to be able to have space to breathe. I love what the psalm says, or I love what Moses says. Let me do that first. Moses says this, he's in the middle of the desert and he's got this army chasing him. And the army wants to kill all the people and they are in the desert and they are starving and they are thirsty and they are complaining. And it's the most dire moment anybody can possibly imagine. The air is thick with FUD. And this is what he says to his people. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. I kind of feel like maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but in this political season, maybe the best thing we all could do is just take a big old deep breath and relax and calm down. We've elected a president before and it didn't end the world. Maybe it's time that we took a deep breath and listened to the words of the Psalms. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Or we hear from the Psalms again, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. When we are fearful, when we are uncertain and we are doubtful, there's this voice whispering, don't you understand? I'm bigger than this. I can handle this. I can care for this. I can take care of you regardless of what happens in your political world. My daughter, when she was uh, little, and maybe some of you parents have had this experience, but she used to call, she would call out to us and say, I'm scared, I'm scared, you got to come in here. And so we would go in and, and she would say, there's a monster in the corner. And I always laugh because I wondered if one day we'd walk in there, there'd be an actual monster in the corner. That's how my brain works. You know, like, wow, look, you were right. Um, I have never told her that and never will. Um, so you would walk in and you would usually see on the wall the shadow. And she at one point had a shadow that would look like a monster, but he also had a sombrero on. And so it was sort of like kind of scary, kind of funny. Uh, so we would walk in and we would see this shadow and she would just be petrified and we would just turn the light on. And it would be a big pile of clothes 
right in front of her lamp, or it would be a jacket hung on a chair, or it would be something else. I, I think the reality is when we live in this fear and uncertainty and doubt, it's like we live with the lights off. Every shadow, every whisper, every trembling fear we have suddenly gets magnified until someone walks in and turns the light on. And when we live and when we vote, when we walk politically in the name of the Lord Jesus out of a place of fear, we only see things through the dark until somebody finally comes and turns the light on. So one of the great things about Jesus is this. In John, it says about Jesus, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Some of the biggest political issues we are facing in this next election are not going to be helped by us voting from a place of darkness. We have to be able to see clearly. We have to be able to understand that what looks like a monster when you flip on the light might be something totally different. We also see our candidates differently that way. If we see our candidates through the lens of fear, uncertainty, and doubt, we'll always see them through the darkness. But if somebody flips the light on, suddenly we can be a little bit more objective. Maybe they're not as evil as I thought. Maybe there are some good things in both of these conversations. Only when we get the light turned on, our fear, uncertainty, and doubt, will we be able to do that. And only then will we be able to vote out of faith and not out of fear. And when we look at candidates differently, we actually can begin to look at them, not just in the light of what matters most to us, because a lot of times we think, what's going to most affect me? But when the light gets turned on, then we can begin to look at them in the light of what matters most to God. Which leads us into our second question, which is this. What vote is a way to love my neighbor as myself? When we walk and vote in the name of the Lord Jesus, when we go into that place to pick a new leader, we should be thinking, which vote of mine will best love someone else the way I love myself? Love doesn't exactly play well in campaign commercials. I've not, I've not seen anybody run on the platform of love. You know, candidate like, well, I don't know much about uh, government, and I don't know much about this guy, and I don't have a ton of money, but man, am I loving. Like, nobody's really pushing that out there. However, if that were to happen, I would vote for that person. I've made up my mind. If somebody said, I'm sorry in a debate, or said they're running on a platform of love, they've got me. I'm in it. Love doesn't exactly play well in campaign seasons. Love seems weak. We'd really like for our political leaders to be very polished, to be wealthy and good-looking, and to be able to handle every problem and to never let them see you sweat. But the reality is that's not who Jesus called any of us to be. Because this is one of the teachings of the Scriptures. It says, do to others what you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. If you want other people to love you, you need to love them as well. This passage would effectively end all of our televised political debates, by the way. They would just stop happening because nobody's doing to others what they want done to them. Because we wouldn't interrupt each other, we wouldn't yell at each other, we wouldn't insult each other. That wouldn't happen. So we would have like handshakes, music, handshakes, and then it'd be over. It'd be like six seconds. But the reality is, it's so easy for us when we get into political arguments to push people into groups rather than to see them as people. I grew up in the South. And so when I say that to anybody, I realize that there's a whole big set of expectations that come to people's minds. So they go, oh, well, you like everything deep fried and you had a rebel flag when you were a kid and you, you probably love country music. Well, no, I, I, I like quinoa and um, I never have owned a rebel flag and frankly, I hate country music. But if you just lump me into a category 
of people from the South, you never get to know the unique story. And so, so many times in these seasons, we're about, well, they're a conservative, or they're a liberal, or they're a progressive, or they support her, or they support him. And we never pull back to stop and go, are you a person? How, do I, how, how can I love you by listening to what you actually think and believe? Rather than bombing you on social media, what if, what if we sat down for coffee and I said, tell me why you think this is a good idea? And sometimes that's really hard. But if we want other people to listen to us about anything, especially about this Jesus and this grand story we have, we have to do for them what we would do, want done for us. Because Jesus' greatest commandment is not to be right, is not to be on the right side of politics. This is Jesus' greatest commandment to us, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. I feel like sometimes during these kind of seasons, we get to set that aside, as if there's like a time out from loving one another until we get this whole president thing sorted out. But I can assure you, one of the clearest things I know from the scriptures is this, the command to love one another does not get paused during an election season. As a matter of fact, it's more rich and more holy and more beautiful now than maybe any other time in the four years around us. We do have to consider, how am I conducting myself politically in a way that loves someone else, in a way that treats them the way that I would want to be treated? Am I talking about them in a way I would want them to talk about me? So when we talk about how would Jesus vote, which I don't know that he would, but if he did, he would do it with other people in mind. So when we think about how we should vote, we also should think we should vote for someone who is not just good for us, but good for everyone. When we walk in there, we need to say, who is this vote going to love beyond just me? Because who we vote for and how elections turn out in any country typically affects the broken, the poor, and the marginalized more than anyone else. And so maybe it's time in this election season that we begin to tap into some of the wisdom of the scriptures. And we hear this teaching, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. We should vote for whoever is going to do that. There are so many crises in our world today that desperately need someone who learns how to love someone else like they love themselves. We will never solve as a nation the issue of refugees. We will never take care of them well if we forget how to love one another, how to love someone else as we would love ourselves. If we were on the run, if we were swimming across a dangerous channel to get to some place of safety, how would we want someone to receive us? Unless we do that, unless we remember how to do that, this issue will never be resolved. So deep in this issue of voting as Jesus would vote is this question, do we love as Jesus would love? Because doing that is a way of telling a better story. We've seen the story of politics for a long, long time, but we, as followers of Jesus, are possessors of a better story, and here's how it goes. One Friday afternoon, outside the city gates of a very powerful place, Jesus of Nazareth, a carpenter who had turned into a teacher and a miracle worker, was convicted of a charge he didn't commit, was executed on a cross, the most violent and embarrassing way for a human being to die for no reason whatsoever. As he's being crucified, his political enemies are giving each other high fives and chest bumps. His followers and the poor are weeping and broken and filled with fear, uncertainty, and doubt. 
But yeah, in that very moment, something else was going on. And Paul describes it this way. He says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This word spectacle literally means public disgrace. Understand what's happening here. Jesus had embarrassed the people who thought they were powerful. The way that they had solved to solve their fear, uncertainty, and doubt was to get rid of Jesus. And yet in the middle of getting rid of Jesus, he was disarming them. He was taking them apart. And in the middle of all of that, love finally won. Once and for all, regardless of politics, regardless of positions, regardless of anything, on that cross, love won. As an innocent man was being executed so violently, he was also saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus' platform was, regardless of what's happening, I'm not afraid. You shouldn't be either. I forgive you. I'm letting you off the hook. I'm going to act in love. And the reality is for us, because of Jesus, because of the cross, regardless of what happens in this next election, love always wins. Always. The reason why is because it wins in us. And as long as love wins in us, we can stomach and we can, we can go through just about anything. So as we begin to think about this, as we begin to think about voting in the name of the Lord Jesus, as we begin to think about our fears and our faith, as we begin to think about which vote, which candidate, which move on our part will do the most love to another person, I feel like just in the middle of this and trying to figure out how to end our time together, I felt like we just needed to pray. I feel like with the 24-hour news cycle, with Twitter and Yahoo and all of that stuff, I felt like we just needed to slam on the brakes for a little bit and to turn down the volume on the talking heads and the screaming and the interrupting. We need to listen for just a moment to what God might have to say. So what I'd love to do here and at our Homer Glen campus, I want to invite you all into this as well. We're just going to do a little prayer Uh, in silence, and I'm going to prompt you with three different prompts for things we need to pray for going into this election season. Now, if you're not a believer in Jesus, if this is a totally new thing, I understand, and I, I, I hope this doesn't feel awkward, but honestly, this is a moment where we get to really talk to somebody who can help with our fear and our uncertainty and our doubt. So let me just ask you, if you would, to bow your heads with me, wherever you are. Um, if you're watching this online, um, if you're in a Starbucks or if you're at home, feel free to just bow your heads with us. We're going we're gonna to pray three specific things. The first thing I want to pray for is I want to pray for those candidates that we oppose. Pray for that political candidate that you oppose, that in your heart and in your political world you do not agree with. And you may even think they're an enemy or a villain. Scriptures teach us to bless those who curse. Teach us to pray for our enemies. And so we're going to do that right now. We're going to pray for the family of the candidate that we dislike. We're going to pray that God blesses them wildly. We're going to pray that God blesses them with health and strength. And we're going to pray that if they should win, that God will do good things through them. Let's pray that right now, just in this silence.
And now I want to pray for the people who oppose us politically, the people in our life, or maybe it's our family, our coworkers, our neighbor, the person who disagrees with us, and we have either arguments or we just can't even talk about it because it's such a hot issue. I want to pray a blessing on them. I want to pray that God blesses them crazy, beautiful, wild blessings come into their life. And I want to pray that we could learn how to listen and to really hear where they're coming from. Let's pray that now. Let's pray that God blesses those who are opposed to us and our families and our lives politically and also that we might listen well to them and love them. And I want to pray now, finally, that God would help us to use love, to begin to use love as a filter, that we would start to not see all these issues just as political, but as opportunities to love one another. So in this prayer, would you just ask God to speak and tell you specifically of a way that you can begin to love through this political season? through this campaign season. Ask God specifically, how can I be more loving? How can I look at the issues through the lens of love right now? Let's pray that together. Father, we're grateful for this opportunity. I'm grateful for a chance just to, just to quiet the noise for a bit and that there's a lot of emotions in us. We may have grown up with politics. It might be a family thing for us. We, maybe we feel really strongly about an issue. And right now, God, we just lay those things at your feet. We surrender them and say, teach us how to be faithful, not fearful. Teach us how to love with every action, including how we vote, so that at the end of the day, love wins in us, in our communities, and in our state, and in our world. Bless us with the courage to love well. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.